With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Political neutrality. Not with Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, it's happened just as we knew it would, just as we knew months ago, indeed years ago, that we would have more terror attacks as a direct result of our open border policy. So today we have had one. It took a terror attack to actually get us to shut our border down. The border between Buffalo and Canada is currently closed pending the investigation of a car bomb attack at the Rainbow Bridge today. And for those not familiar with the Western New York geography, the Peace Bridge extends from downtown Buffalo to Fort Erie and further downstream down the Niagara River, one of the only rivers in the world that flows south to north, along with the adjacent Genesee River, by the way, is the Rainbow Bridge. Rainbow Bridge is one of the nicest bridges in the world. When you cross the Rainbow Bridge, you look either to your left or right, depending on which direction you're traveling, and you get to see both the American Falls and the Horseshoe Falls, the Canadian Falls, which are spectacular. If you've never seen Niagara Falls, you can't imagine the natural grandeur and the awesomeness of that amount of water rushing over what is then two rivers uh, at the same time into the same pool. So we had a a car bomb attack. I saw one newsman uh, report a bystander, a a passerby was walking uh, away from the border. He was walking uh, from Canada in the direction of Canada to the United States. He was in the United States walking away from the border and a vehicle came, he estimated at over 100 miles an hour, rushing past him toward the border. And he turned around and the man was going so quickly, he was fishtailing. And then he struck a fence and there was an initial burst of flame. And then he went up. He wasn't certain whether he hit an obstruction, whether he hit a building. Uh, but the vehicle went up in the air and there was a massive explosion, huge fireball. And he said, and after that, you couldn't see anything because of the the smoke. Why this is important? Those border crossings, the Peace Bridge and the Rainbow Bridge, have a phenomenal amount of commercial vehicular traffic, especially during daytime hours between the United States and Canada. Canada, naturally, is our largest trading partner. And We used to go across the Rainbow Bridge all the time. I lived in Orchard Park when I was a little boy, and probably we'd go over to the falls at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. One of my favorite memories, in fact, is my father bundling us all into our station wagon, wearing our pajamas. We didn't know where we were going. It was a big secret. He wouldn't tell us what we were doing. And we drove up and across the Rainbow Bridge, and what we saw was magnificent. The Canadian Falls had frozen over, and they use a colored light display at nighttime. And so it was just the colored lights, the red, the purple, the green, the orange lights on the ice over the falls where normally you'd see the water. And there was no mist because the river was frozen over as well. It was literally a winter wonderland. It was a phenomenal memory. Well, those memories now are on hold. And this is going to cause a reevaluation, I'm certain, of our border policy. We've been warning my grammar school and high school classmate, former Representative John Katko. I disagreed with John on a lot of issues, but he was correct when he was warning about our northern border. All the attention is properly focused on the southern border, but we need to not forget about our northern border and securing that border because it's twice as long as our southern border. And it has a tremendous amount, as I mentioned, of commercial traffic, especially in the Buffalo region. 
So we've had another terror attack. We can thank Joe Biden and the Democrats because not all of the millions, in some estimates I've seen, put it at over 30 million illegal aliens, not all of them are poor, hungry Guatemalans that are just looking for a better life for their children. Most of the children coming across the border are being sex trafficked, as I discussed last night with Lynn Shaw. The quote-unquote families picking them up are cartel members. The Biden administration is actively funding the cartels and using our military. We've all seen the videos of our military helping inflatable rafts across the river, helping men, young men, military-age men traveling singly without women and children, coming through fields of razor wire that the state of Texas put up to protect the border. And there's our army helping invaders through the barriers put up by the state of Texas. Our federal government is absolutely out of control. It needs to be brought to heel. We need Donald Trump back and we need to turn this around fast because today is just a foretaste of what's to come. If you're going to be out in large crowds, keep your head on a swivel. Better yet, don't go at all. Don't let your family go. Don't be a soft target because that's what they're looking for. I'm Timothy Shea. This is The Reckoning. Did you know there are many ways you can listen to TNT Radio? Why not stream us directly from our website on your desktop, tablet, or mobile device, or download an app from the App Store? We even stream live now on YouTube, Rumble, and Odyssey. We've got you covered on TNT Radio. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Sam Altman, the co-founder of OpenAI, has been reinstated as CEO of the artificial intelligence tech company just days after his shock firing, capping off a turbulent few days in the artificial intelligence community and the business community. Here with the story, joining me now is TNT radio news producer, Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Thanks, Timothy. If you thought the speed of science was fast, look at this. <laughs> Things are always fast in the tech world, isn't it? Wow. AI is yeah, instantaneous. Is, yeah, things happen quickly <laughs> around here. Uh, this has been officially confirmed by the uh, the company uh, on a in a post on Tuesday. Um, just days, just days. I mean, hardly. I mean, I wouldn't even say days. I mean, I would say tens of hours. That's how fast. Yeah, I was, was. under seventy two <laughs> hours. I think. Yeah, it was so quick uh, after Altman was ousted as the chief chief executive, and it sparked an employee revolt that threatened to, to threatened, excuse me, to undermine what has been the leading company in the fledgling, fast moving artificial intelligence industry. Uh, so apparently he will. Oh, by the way, they noted in the uh, the statement here, the official statement from OpenAI, that the tech giant and its founder had reached an agreement, quote, in principle end quote, on the matter. Not sure exactly what that means. Uh, but Mr. Altman will return as CEO alongside a new board initially chaired by former Salesforce co-CEO Brett Taylor, former Treasury Secretary Larry Summers, and current board member Adam D'Angelo, co-founder of Quora. OpenAI said, quote, we are collaborating to figure out the details. Thank you so much for your patience through this, end quote. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we were just, it was so long, <laughs> so hard to, yeah, I don't, I don't think anybody was worried about it too much. OpenAI, the company behind the popular chat bot, ChatGPT, fired Mr. Altman on November 17th, citing the board's loss of confidence in his leadership ability. Officials also claimed that Mr. Altman had not been, quote, consistently candid in his communications with the board, hindering its ability to exercise its responsibilities, end quote, although they stopped short of providing further details regarding his ousting. However, the move sparked outrage among many staff members at the AI giant, with at least four employees resigning in protest over his termination and more than 500 more threatening to quit unless the board of the company resigned. Drama, drama. 
The company's board quickly replaced Mr. Altman as CEO, briefly, with Chief Technology Officer Myra Marachi before hiring former Twitch CEO Emmett Shear as OpenAI's new interim CEO. In the meantime, briefly, Mr. Altman was quickly snapped up by Microsoft, which is a close partner of OpenAI and has invested more than $10 billion in the company since 2018 just again days after his sudden dismissal from OpenAI. At the time, Microsoft said it remained a partner with OpenAI despite the management shuffle. Confused yet? Yeah, maybe because they're all the same thing. <laughs> Mr. Altman confirmed his return to OpenAI in a separate statement online Tuesday, noting that Microsoft is supportive of his return to the AI firm. This revolving door is crazy. He wrote, quote, I love OpenAI and everything I've done over the past few days has been in service of keeping this team and its mission together. When I decided to join Microsoft on Sunday evening, it was clear that was the best path for me and the team. With the new board and with Satya's, Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella, Satya's support, I'm looking forward to returning to OpenAI and building on our strong partnership with Microsoft, end quote. Okay. Mr. Nadella also welcomed Mr. Altman's return as CEO in a post on X on Tuesday, writing that the tech giant is, quote unquote, encouraged by the latest changes to the open AI board. Um, Mr. Nadella wrote, quote, we believe this is a first essential step on a path to more stable, well-informed, and here's the word I was looking for, effective governance. Sam, Greg, and I have talked and agreed they have a key role to play along with the OAI leadership team and assuring OAI, OpenAI, continues to thrive and build on its mission. We look forward to building on our strong partnership and delivering the value of this next generation of AI to our customers and partners, end quote. Uh, and apparently Greg Brockman, OpenAI's co-founder and president who resigned in protest over Mr. Altman's dismissal last week, will also be returning, he announced, in a separate statement. Uh, and incidentally, Mr. Brockman, who also had joined Microsoft in the wake of the turbulence, brief, brief turbulence at OpenAI, said he would be getting straight back to coding. Very strange stuff, Timothy. I, my head is spinning over this one quite literally. But what do you think? Well, I need that cartoon sound effect, you know, when they do a double take, dee -dee 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 -dee, right? Because wait a second, what? First of all, the AI space is so nascent, it's not surprising that there'd be a little bit of chaos in the management suites, right? I mean, this is brand new technology. I co-founded a software company 20 years ago, and we ran into this kind of thing all the time with, uh, you know, the tech guys, like herding cats with them. And sometimes you got to keep them in line as, as the business guys. It's very rare for the founder of a company to remain on. Usually the life cycle of a company, a startup, a tech startup, is that you've got a founder with a great idea and he gets together a technological team and then they develop a product and they go and they get some venture capital money, some seed capital to get the company up and running. They get offices, they pay some salaries, they grow, they hire marketing people, they get the product out and as, as profits start to roll in, then the company grows and eventually matures to the point where you bring in a professional management team, a proper COO, a proper a CEO with financial experience, a CFO, et cetera. I don't think a open AI is quite there yet, obviously. What surprised me about this whole thing wasn't, I don't have my finger on this. I'm not a market analyst that is constantly studying these companies. So when I first saw that Altman had been fired. It's like, okay, well, that happens all the time in tech companies. But then when I saw he jumped to Microsoft right away, it's like, wait, what? Typically, a CEO is locked down. You've got a non-compete for a period of years. You've got, you know, your, your stock options are tied to uh, not going to a competitor, et cetera. So it just, it kind of puzzled me as to why he could not why he would, but why he could immediately jump to Microsoft. And then he comes back. It's almost like reading the tea leaves. I'm reading this as, okay, I'll take my ball and go to our larger partner, Microsoft. Right? Nope. And I think OpenAI's board realized, oh, okay, no, 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 no. We don't want that. We want your, we, want, we still need your technical know-how. We're not ready to walk on our own two feet yet. 
And so they brought him back. And like, as you said, it's just a matter of tens of hours. I think it was under 72 hours. And it's entertaining to watch from the outside what practical effect this will have on the development of AI technology. I don't know. It seems as though OpenAI and Microsoft are now more closely tied than ever. And we all know Microsoft's uh, deep pockets and also their willingness to not give a wit about freedom of expression, about civil liberties, or about making the world a better place. They just want to make the world a better place for Microsoft products. So I'm still wary of AI. I'm not an AI skeptic. I understand fully the power of the tool, how it can be used for both good and ill. You know, I look at AI as a, a handgun. It could be used for self-defense or it could be used to rob a liquor store. And my fear is that with players like Microsoft involved, it's going to be more toward the robbing the liquor store than making the world a better place for humanity. I mean, Adam, what part of Skynet isn't a good idea is not clear to these people. Well, I was just thinking there there might be, I mean, this is a total wild on the spur of the moment theory. So there's there's no truth to this, but it is an interesting lens to to look through uh, this story with. Um, there's a popular trading strategy uh, in the financial markets, folks who like to trade, called buy the rumor, sell the news. Yeah. Uh, and if you combine that with the fact that you, you already know what the rumor is going to be because maybe you create the rumor, basically creating the news, you could take advantage of some swing trades, maybe – just saying, maybe there's some friends who knew this was going to happen. He makes the announcement, open AI stocks go down. You can make money on stocks going down, by the way. Uh, and then, you know, oh, he went to Microsoft. Oh, Microsoft, buy, buy, buy. Now Microsoft, and the, the, you made some money there, and you sell while the price is high. Who knows, Timothy? There could be a million reasons for this. Now, are you implying that there's such a thing as insider trading and market manipulation? I'm shocked. Shocked. You know, where's the guy to say you're winning, sir? <laughs> Thanks for another great story, Adam. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Jeremy Now and Germ Warfare. I feel like they've hijacked some words that have meaning, sustainable and development, because now if I use the word sustainable, I feel like I'm swearing. When you go onto the United Nations website, so if you go and look at uh, their, their documentation, for example, around Agenda, Agenda 2030, what you get is the kind of glossy brochure image of sustainable development. And really, when you look through that public-facing brochure, I think it's probably probably a reasonable description of it, of sustainable development, that's all you get. You, you just get the sound bites and you just get the claims about how wonderful it is going to be. The UN states that the agenda is an agenda for transformation of the world, it's most perhaps acutely its economy, its industrial processes, and perhaps something that is often overlooked, us, our societies, and us as individuals. We are to be transformed as well. Jeremy Nell on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the President. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming President of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's gonna protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. This moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism or you're talking about communism, socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization 
brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat, people will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Plug in. Website. TNTradio.live. Check it out. Today's News Talk Radio. It's the coolest. TNT. John Leake studied history and philosophy with Sir Roger Scruton at Boston University. He then went to Vienna, Austria on a graduate school scholarship and ended up living in the city for over a decade working as a freelance writer and translator. John's first book, Entering Hades, The Double Life of a Serial Killer, was a New York Times editor's choice, a Men's Vogue best book of 2007, and the inspiration for the infernal comedy starring John Malkovich. He co-authored the book, The Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalization and Death, while battling the biopharmaceutical complex with Dr. Peter McCullough. And you can see John's work now on the Courageous Discourse substack that he writes with Dr. McCullough. like to welcome to The Reckoning, John Leake. Thanks for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. John, I'm delighted because I've been a fan of your work now for, for over a year. This Courageous Discourse substack, folks, if you're not subscribed to it, you really need to. And you also need to follow John on X at Sir Sillysworth. So tell me first about Sir Sillysworth. I giggled when I saw your handle. <laughs> well, um, this was before I knew that any of this remote uh, communication stuff was going to take over the world. At the time, I thought this is for communicating with my parents or my friends or my brothers. I lived in Europe. Turns out it's now the preferred means of communication for official correspondence. I'm going to have to change the name of my handle. Um, yeah, but you'll but, lose all your followers. At Timbo62, Timbo Tim 62 was is still in ex uh, purgatory. I, I keep asking Elon to release that in MAGA underscore Institute. We, you know, I've permanently banned now off of Facebook. Uh, I've had this is now my fourth account. The Reckoning TNT is my fourth account on now X, but then Twitter. Uh, it's crazy. The censorship. If, if John, are our ideas that dangerous that people can't even be allowed to hear them? Are we back into the dark ages where books were too controversial to even be allowed to be read? I mean, I'm I'm just astonished that this has happened. I, I and it seems to have have snuck up on me. I mean, when I graduated from college in the year 1993, you know, the as as we understood it, America had won the Cold War against the Soviet Union. Um, it was the triumph of liberal democracy based on principles of freedom of speech and conscience. There was a guy at Harvard named Francis Fukuyama that wrote a book called The End of History about the right. triumph the triumph of classical liberalism that these these um kind of archaic totalitarian philosophies had been vanquished from the earth forever and I kind of believed this at the time so this um looking up one day you know time sneaks up on you and you realize censorship is becoming not only uh, something that we're seeing in the public forum, it's becoming a norm. I mean, a true exchange of, of ideas, you know, John Stuart Mill's uh, um, marketplace of ideas is, is now a sort of a quaint idea. It, it, um, it, it would seem that in, in many respects in social media and in the news, censorship is now the norm. 
It is the norm. And if it's a marketplace of ideas, it's a Soviet marketplace where there's one product and you you queue up for it and you either, you know, it's like what Henry Ford said, you can have any color car you want as long as you want a black car, right? Because he didn't <laughs> want to get into, into investing in various paint colors. And uh, yeah, he, he, he was a great uh, efficiency expert, but he wasn't much of a marketer. Um, but, you know, what it sounds me, the fact that communism is still around and Marxism and all that ridiculous uh, philosophy doesn't surprise me because I've had my eye on China for 50 years just because the Soviet Union uh, died. We still had uh, Cuba. We still had the Sandinistas down in Nicaragua. We still had China. The ideology is not going to go away anytime soon. Uh, what surprised me, though, is it's now the left pushing for censorship. And my heroes on the left, Bill Maher, Naomi Wolf, and especially Alan Dershowitz, are still standing for free speech. Naomi was on the show a month or so ago, and she said that she no longer considers herself a Democrat. She's an independent. I don't know about Alan. He said he looks forward to voting against Donald Trump for the third time. So I'm assuming that he still identifies as a Democrat. Uh, and I don't know about Bill Maher, but I applaud them for speaking up for free speech. Where's the ACLU? Where are all these leftist organizations that were defending pornographers like Larry Flint and uh, Ku Klux Klan being able to march through Skokie, Illinois? Where are those uh, committed liberals? I want to get back to the days when we had uh, conservatives and liberals. We don't have any liberals anymore, John. All we've got are these these hardcore communist leftists. It's true. I mean, the other kind of classical liberal that I would say is still alive is Robert Kennedy Jr. He's really demonstrated a, a firm commitment to free speech. Um, so you do have these old school classical liberals like those that you've maintained, but they are definitely the minority and they're definitely older. I mean, they kind of went to college and came of age when the First Amendment and all the things that you described was absolutely the norm. And they've just retained their attachment to that. The one thing I would say about communism is I sort of suspect that with the exception of kind of dopey college professors and college students, I don't really think that your, your uh, World Economic Forum billionaire um, really believes in communism. I think it's a useful ideology um, for uh, maintaining this oligarchy while pretending to be you know, or interested in you know the fate of of the common people. I, I don't. I doubt that Soros or or uh, any of these WEF guys, Klaus Schwab, they're all billionaires. I, I doubt they really subscribe to communist ideology. John, I just want to distinguish between classical liberal with a lowercase L and maybe classic liberal or traditional liberal uppercase L. Bobby Kennedy certainly the latter. He's a liberal Democrat, uh, mainline liberal Democrat, just like his dad, holds a lot of liberal positions, politically liberal positions. It, what's interesting to me, though, is when he tells the truth about vaccines in general and particularly these mRNA gene therapy injections that they're calling vaccines, everyone ostracizes him. His family ostracizes him. I don't even know if he's invited to the Kennedy compound for Thanksgiving tomorrow. It's amazing how the left seems to love diversity of everything except thought. And if you deviate even one millimeter from the official narrative, you're sent to the hinterlands. It's it's true. I And I think the left... Uh, you know, go, going, so let's say going back to Marx, I mean, it's always had, in, in my view, distinctly doctrinaire orthodox elements. I mean, humans, I think, in our DNA have a kind of attachment to orthodoxy, where um, orthodox authoritative views of the world have always been imposed. And then those who offer a challenging or a dissenting view going back and, you know, to time immemorial 
have, have been censored and censured. So I don't think this is anything new. But what's weird about the, the contemporary left is, on the one hand, this insistence that we're, we're secularist, we're humanist, we, we believe in progress and the advance of um, civilization, but this almost archaic doctrinaire orthodoxy that, that seems to be a, a, a profound element of, of their worldview. And then vaccines strike me as, as being virtually a religion. I mean, there's a kind of religious faith that is placed in vaccines and in the belief in the in the um, effectiveness and safety of this new generation of gene transfer shot. It's a sort of article of faith. It, it's not it's not something that's examined. So yes, when when RFK Jr. raised questions about this, he was um, immediately uh, excommunicated and ostracized. I think you're right to call it a religion. In fact, it, I'm a Roman Catholic, and we believe that God's law is written on every human heart. And the left has done their best to kill God, certainly to remove him from the public square, and yet they still have that yearning. And they've replaced the almighty God with climate change, with these gene therapy injections, with technology. And they're chasing after all these false religions. And you're right. It's an article of faith with them. Questioning is not permitted. Doubt is not permitted. And you know, when I was growing up, we were taught that your faith is never stronger than when it's when you've questioned it. Right. You, to have a strong faith, you have to question it. Am I just being a, a dumb sheep that's that's believing everything that's being spoon fed to me? Or if I if I thought it, if I analyzed it, if I read, if I considered it, and that's when you you truly develop a strong faith. They don't permit any of that. There's no questioning allowed. You're not even allowed to wonder if maybe perhaps you're on the wrong track. Well, and it it also implies. Um, a, a view of humanity um, as being, and I think it's revealing what, what, what it's implying, that humanity is constantly in need of, of, of being directed. Otherwise, humanity uh, will, will, is so stupid and, and, and lacking any kind of understanding that it will, if, if we don't have an orthodoxy being opposed, everyone will just fall hopelessly into error, which is, is really the opposite of what our founding fathers in the United States thought that a prudent, reasonable, grown-up citizenry could be capable of doing in, in terms of being responsible citizens. That The idea of ordinary prudence, that you, you just have common sense, maybe you have some book learning, but that that's enough for the citizenry to, to make prudent decisions. What, what we see in recent years is, is this insistence that everybody is a sort of dumb child and needs to have an orthodox view of the world imposed. And it's interesting how science and particularly medicine have taken the place, how they've been elevated, shut up and listen to the doctor. And it wasn't until people started questioning doctors that the boot came down. What amazed me in COVID, and I, I'm not the only one to have noticed this, is how quickly we went from the carrot to the stick. We immediately went from get the jab and get a Krispy Kreme donut, get the jab in New York City and, and get a burger and fries, get the jab and get a lottery ticket to perhaps win millions of dollars. It went immediately from that to get the jab or lose your job, get the jab or separate from the military, get the jab or don't play sports. There was no in between. There was no transition. It's like, oh, okay, so you're not going to uh, comply. We're going to make you comply. The rapidity with which the boot came down on people's necks, I think shocked a lot of people and it shocked a lot of people awake. You're listening to The Reckoning on TNT Radio. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. CNN and PBS, home to probably the most consistent, vile, anti-Israel on-air personality I've seen, Christiane Amanpour. And she was at it again last weekend, 
giving Hamas's numbers of dead and injured inside Gaza, which elicited this response from senior Bibi Netanyahu advisor Mark Regev. There's no other independent verification for those numbers, and so we have to presume they're exaggerated. And secondly, they give you no differentiation between of the people who have been fatalities, whether they were Hamas uh, terrorists, and it's good that they were killed if they were, and between civilians caught up in the crossfire. And watch Amanpour confirm the media's historic bias towards the terrorists known as Hamas. In history, nobody's questioned these numbers. In all the previous, uh, and Hamas was always in charge, all the previous operations, nobody questioned their numbers. Bizarre, but there's more. When Regev warns uh, against believing Hamas, that half the children, that half the people who passed are children, Amanpour tells why we should believe them. Well, we've seen the pictures, okay? And we did this last week together. We've seen the pictures and it is causing huge unrest and disquiet. So the pictures, pictures that she's seen confirms the death toll number of children? Nothing but propaganda. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern, right here on TNT. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a, a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. John, you're an historian, not a scientist or a doctor. I love your collaboration with Dr. Peter McCullough on the Courageous Discourse Substack because you bring other stories which, and I loved your comment to a reader the other day, your reply to a reader who said, why are you bringing us these stories that don't have anything to do with medicine? It's like, because there's a common theme here. You're bringing great stories that are exposing the totalitarianism, the dictatorial impulse that governments, not just here in the United States, but around the world are exercising. First of all, how did you come to collaborate with Peter? And what do you think of the hope going forward that we can effectively fight uh, this globalist agenda my starting point was my as a true crime author interested in forensic medicine and um i when i lived in vienna i hung around at the institute of forensic medicine and just a real quick detour in history it was at the vienna institute of forensic medicine that a guy named professor ignaz Semmelweis. Um, observed his colleague in the anatomy department. They were doing an uh, anatomical study of a cadaver. His colleague cut his hand with the scalpel and developed uh, a, a, a syndrome, an illness that Semmelweis recognized to be the same as he was observing in women in the maternity ward. There were the, It's called childbed fever, this purpural fever. These women would get sick and um, the woman often and the child would, would die of this. So Semmelweis, who thought, you know, I wonder if there's some sort of corruption being transferred from the scalpel to, to the cut. My friend ultimately, and this professor of anatomy, sickened and he died in the same way that these women in the maternity ward. So Semmelweis thought, let's wash our hands with chlorinated lime, it's kind of like what grave, uh, what undertakers use, and let's see what happens. And so the incidence of purpural fever in the clinic dramatically dropped. And this was kind of a beginning of the germ theory of medicine. So some would think, wow, he told his students to wash their hands, and that seemed to reduce the incidence of this deadly disease amongst women. Maybe we ought to applaud the guy. Instead, the eminences at the medical universities of Europe said, well, Semmelweis is crazy. And this turned into a huge controversy. Semmelweis was declared insane, put in a Vienna a mental institution where, where he died. Um, so I always was haunted by that, that the great eminences of the medical universities of Europe were completely wrong. And Semmelweis, this sort of uh, observant, 
uh, doctor was right. We know he was 100% right. So when, uh, when SARS-CoV-2 comes along and it became evident to me, it was no doubt it came out of that Wuhan lab and was uh, spreading in the West, first to Milan, then to New York. I thought what we're being told by our medical establishment in Washington, D.C. doesn't make sense to me. There are many elements of this that strike me as fraudulent, but I need a doctor, uh, an academic medical scientist to uh, to work with me on this and, and conducting an inquiry. I didn't know where I would find him. I thought, you know, good Lord, you know, knows where I'll have to go. And by this bizarre coincidence, I discovered this guy, Dr. Peter McCullough, lived about a mile away from me in Dallas. So I contacted Peter and I said, look, I'm writing a book about the pandemic response. You seem to be a sensible guy. What about meeting and talking? So we did. I interviewed him. And so our collaboration was born. Well, I'm glad that it did because it makes for wonderful reading. It's always a treat when it hits my inbox. You, you can subscribe to the email feed as well and, and get emails in your inbox. And the stories are varied, and yet they all have that common theme. And they're very helpful because I can't tell you how many times you've given me talking points to use here on the show and I have a lot of friends that are starting to send me your articles. It's like, yeah, I know. It's uh, it's good stuff. Thank you. One of the things that interests me is that you studied in Vienna and lived there for so long. Vienna is an important city in American or in world history, rather. <clears throat> and it used to be the Austro-Hungary Empire. My thesis is that the world is in need of another Charles the Hammer Martel who saved Vienna. The Gates of Vienna is, is a great story that people need to familiarize themselves with if they don't know it already. Do you see another Charles Martel on the horizon? Perhaps Viktor Orban, the president of Hungary? He seems to be standing up against the globalists. Well, I don't know that much about Orban other than uh, I think a, a few things that I've read about him. Tucker Carlson did a, a feature on Orban, mm -hmm. and he struck me as an eminently sensible guy. Um, and, you know, pr probably because he seems sensible, he's sort of a patriotic Hungarian um, and it wants to stand up to these ghouls, uh, you know, in in um, in Davos, Switzerland, that he's he's so horribly maligned as is you know the worst monster. So, um, I I think that Hungary is perhaps not so dissimilar to, to Poland and and the Czech Republic, and that the people who lived under the Soviet regime. Václav Havel is another guy. You know, recognize this for what it is. Like they had right. no illusions about it. They they lived under it, and so I think Orban's probably part of that same vein. Of we we don't want to go back to that. You know, we 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 need to preserve the culture and the Judeo Christian traditions and so forth. We don't want to go back to this internationalist socialist uh, type regime. So yes, Orban seems to me, based on what little I know, to be a reasonable guy who's sticking up for civilization. And it's not just here in the United States with, you know, make America great again. We Looks like Argentina wants to make Argentina great again as well with the election of Javier Millet. What amazes me is that they allowed him to be elected. Of course, just north in Brazil, that election was clearly stolen by the cartels. They had their thumb firmly on the scales uh, last year and when they ousted Bolsonaro. Are you surprised that Malay was allowed to win? And are you hopeful? I've got a lot of Argentine friends that were so happy that the Peronists were not uh, reelected. 
Well, I was perfectly astonished. I mean, uh, I, I I can't really, uh, you know, fathom it. How, how did this happen? Um, I'm not an expert on Argentina. My brother lived there for the better part of the year playing polo. That's kind of the extent of my knowledge is my brother telling me about his good times in Argentina. But he's always told me that it's an incredibly dysfunctional place. And, and that, yeah. you know most of the time the government is terrible so I, I was very pleasantly surprised i don't know what to make of this or how how to account for it uh it, it's it's a sign of hope and i think you're right the people in eastern europe certainly poland czech republic hungary i think bulgaria too i have a friend living in bulgaria now who says that it's it's really a hidden jewel and he wants to keep it that way i probably shouldn't be telling people how great bulgaria is because he'll be angry at me but we're seeing this with our friends that have fled china as well and friends that had fled vietnam while that was still under communist rule they do not want to go back they see the tea leaves they know what this is about the other people that have seen the past and don't want to return to it are our jewish friends and it's stunning just in the last month and a half how much anti-semitism has ridden risen its ugly head again here in the united states and not just among the left i think what sickens and disgusts me the most is how many people on the right have torn off the mask and revealed themselves to be anti-semites yeah, we, we live in a time in, in which sort of atavistic tribal um, resentments and, and, and hostilities seem to be more and more, what, what's the word, tolerated. I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll be watching commentary, you know, it, whether it be social media or conventional media, and I'm, I'm, I'm impressed by how often people reveal what seems to me a sort of reversion to uh, an archaic atavistic um, tribal me mentality. I, I don't know what to make of, of, of that. Um, I, I can't really imagine where that's coming from. I suppose where it shocked me the most was it, you know during the cold winter of the pandemic, this sort of apartheid, almost like those who were skeptical and hesitant to receive this new product it was almost like we were perceived as unclean and you know it reminded me it really did remind me of some of these medical uh hygienic rules that very quickly became conflated with race you know during the third reich um, you know, it's it starts off with, well, you can't, if you're of Jewish ancestry, you can't shop in this shop or you can't enter this this coffee house. And then you have to wear or have papers to, you know, demonstrate uh, that you're allowed to, you know, participate in public life. And, you know, I was in Washington, D.C. for this Defeat the Mandates rally in January of 2022. I couldn't stay in a Washington, D.C. hotel or dine in a Washington, D.C. restaurant. And I'm a taxpaying no. citizen of this country. So it, it it felt like that weird reversion to, you know, the clean, the unclean, the the um, uh, the reprobate and and the and, and the, yeah. um, you know, the, those those who have grace or whatever it's. I think we live in a kind of time of, of resurgent, archaic religious sentiment, not not the um, not not the kind of revealed religion that you, that you were talking about growing up as a Catholic, but uh, the, these kind of savage gods, these savage, archaic kind of religious currents that seem to be welling up in public discourse. Yeah, we hear a lot about Moloch these days. We hear a lot about other pagan gods. And I think you're right. I guess ultimately this is the logical conclusion. This is the end point of the politics of division that has been practiced by so many on the left for so many decades, dividing us by race, dividing us by class, dividing us by uh, you know politics. And 
it's sad because there's a lot more than unites us than divides us. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize that now. But then you've got guys like Jimmy Kimmel out there saying, oh, if you've been vaccinated and you have a heart attack, come on in. We'll, we'll treat your heart attack. Oh, you didn't you didn't get the jab. Um, go home and die, Sparky. You know, he says, got- rest, rest in peace, Wheezy, is what he said. Yeah, that's what it was. Rest in peace, Wheezy. Yeah. Yeah, thank yeah, you for die. that. Die. We'll, we'll deprive you of medical care because you 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 didn't um, imbibe yourself with this this sacred thing. Um, it, it's it's just astonishing. Now, meanwhile, the law says that you have to treat a doctor has to treat someone regardless of their ability to pay morally uh, under the Hippocratic oath. A doctor has to treat someone regardless of whether they've just murdered someone else. And, you know, it's, it's medicine's job to do whatever medicine can and let the judicial system worry about everything else. It's true. And I I, I would like to um, really emphasize that w- what I perceive, you know, happening now is, you know, throughout history, tyrants have had a, a longstanding habit of invoking emergency power. It's an emergency is upon us. Um, we have to suspend normal constitutional rules I need to be granted augmented power in order to manage the emergency. I think for a lot of history, that was achieved by way of invoking foreign military threats. Uh, Madison talked about this at the Constitutional Convention. Whenever the Roman patrician class perceived a, a, a possible rebellion afoot on the Italian peninsula, they would immediately invoke some war, you know, somewhere. And the, right. the Germans were making a move across the Danube or whatever. So that's well, Lincoln tr- did it himself in the Civil War, suspended habeas corpus and did other things that he felt necessary. He, you know, it was almost the presage of we have to bomb the town to dis- to save the town. Lincoln said we have to destroy the Constitution to save the Union. Correct. So along those lines, I think I think what we saw really hitting with full force in 2020 was um, emergency power to deal not with dangerous armed human beings, but with these invisible pathogens. So the federal government, um, the health agencies, governors, Cuomo, um, uh, uh, what's the name of the clown in California? Um, uh, Gavin Newsom. Yeah. Um, the mayor of Los Angeles. I mean, there they were, you know, basking in all of this augmented power to deal with this emergency. And and I, I remember thinking, OK, the tyrants have got their new uh, their, their, oh, it's their, their shiny new toy and they're going to they're going to use right. it every chance they get. We've got to just stop them from doing that. John, this has been a delightful conversation. I'd love to have you back here on The Reckoning. Folks, check out John on X at Sir Sillysworth and be sure to subscribe to the Courageous Discourse Substack. That's it for tonight's Reckoning. Stay tuned on TNT Radio for the Havoye Moritz Show. I'm Timothy Shea. Until next time, God bless you. God bless these United States. Keep fighting the good fight.